All right, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. Uh, JJ here with me as always, Dan, uh, and we are we're jumping ahead tonight. Uh, tonight's March first. We're jumping ahead to do some draft deep dive on the offensive side of the ball. Um, the big news this week, of course, is the combine um, happening. You know, has been happening since Monday. Um, wraps up this weekend, uh, and we have you know the exciting wide receivers, running backs, and others are doing the skill skill based and, and speed based competition uh, stuff and, and testing tomorrow. Uh, they like to keep that stuff for the weekend because I, I think they recognize that there's some eyeballs that are going to be on it uh, in the working masses. What do you think about that, Dan? And and how excited are you to talk draft prospects? Very excited, and my eyeballs, JJ, will be some of the the eyeballs the NFL is looking to attract with their their weekend placement of testing for NFL skill positions. I've really enjoyed breaking down a lot of the media coverage of interviews and things like that that a lot of these prospects have been doing. Lots of interesting stuff coming out of Bill's camp with regard to both the offensive and the defensive players that they have met with in the interview process so far. But I think it makes sense to start with the offense, JJ, because it is very likely that within the first three rounds, the Bills are going to have to, depending on what happens with Gabe Davis, draft his replacement with a premium pick, but then also potentially nab a person with said premium pick that could be Stefan Diggs' replacement down the road. This is a very, very deep wide receiver class. And unlike last year, where he had a lot of slot type of horizontal type of threats, this year features a lot of the bigger targets that we know Josh Allen likes and features some guys that can take the top off defenses. And it is something the Bills are sorely lacking, as we have discussed ad nauseum. So, JJ, I am dying to get into it, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... um you know, we'll we'll get into the actual names of the prospects. We've talked about a couple of people, especially in top-end talent. We've talked about some of the top draft picks that are going to go on the wide receiver position specifically. Because I think that as we, you know, have lined up, the Buffalo Bills, um, aside from what's going to happen in free agency, need to find a starter and wide receiver, kind of a number two outside um, X-type receiver. They need to find a starting safety. We'll talk about defense in a future week's pod. Um, and they need to find like a boatload of defensive line talent. That's really those are the holes we we see right now on the team, um, and some of those will be addressed by the draft. Um, it's pretty widely accepted that in the draft you are looking at your first and second pick, your first round and second round pick, as likely starters or impact starters. With your third, fourth, fifth, you know, if you hit on somebody who gets meaningful snaps in any of those three middle rounds, you tend to um, you know, be a plus draft team. Um, that's pretty good talent and, and, and value at those positions. And then the sixth, seventh round are usually, you know, if you get contributions from the, those players, you've got a good scouting department that are really identifying some traits that are NFL ready on players that are not ex- expected to make a big contribution. Um, and so that's the way we're going to kind of break down these conversations as we're talking about some of the prospects in terms of that rank, kind of first and second, and then middle three, and then six, seven, and undrafted free agents. Of course, the rookies that are not picked in the draft will be picked up by teams oftentimes after the after the fact. Yeah, man, I love that setup, and I want to get right into it. So, you want to start? I think we should start with the premium position and the highest position of offensive need for the Bills, which is wide receiver. So, JJ, why don't you give me a little bit of? Let's start with that like tier one, first, second roundish area. What are some of the guys that you are looking at 
for the Bills to to potentially use that first or second round pick on at the wide receiver spot. Yeah, my absolute A number one is Brian Tom Thomas uh, Jr. from LSU. He's probably a top twenty pick, and it's the kind of player that you know he's widely regarded as probably the fourth best. So um, it, it's of course Marvin Harrison Jr. and Roma Dunze at the top. Um, and then Malik Neighbors uh, also at the top. Those three are the top three, and then Brian Thomas Jr. makes up that kind of – he, he kind of stands alone in that four spot of the fourth best wide receiver in this class by most draft you know, draft nicks. Um, that's the player that I see if the Bills – if and Brandon Bean, we know he loves up to trade up for his guy. Um, if Brandon Bean is going up in the draft, I think it's for Brian Thomas Jr. 6'4", 205 from LSU – Led the entire country in touchdown uh, touchdown receptions this year. Um, just an absolute machine. Can do everything. Um, polished for a bigger body. Fast for a bigger body. He's probably going to run in the 4-4s this weekend. He's um, aiming for 4-3 if you listen yeah. to any of the, the hype coming out of uh, out of the combine. Well, and, and, you know, I think Bill's Mafia, or Brandon Bean at least, is hoping he runs a 4-6. I um, know, right? Because... The forty-yard dash is—it's funny because it's such a—it's such a weird thing, right? Like it's a one single—it's—it's. It's, I think they get two attempts, right? It's two two attempts in in time that set their value um, to all these draft, you know, uh, team team draft specialists. And it's like that, you know, just if the guy slightly stubs his toe, it's going to change everything for his whole life. So I just find it funny that we put so much weight on the the forty. Um, because yeah, I guess it's an overall, you know, assessment of speed. Um, what I believe the 40 teaches you is whether or not somebody's willing to put the work in, in the, you know, off season, in the, in the training, um, in order to really work towards the goal and get it. I think that's mostly what they're, you're learning from these prospects is if somebody hits like an absolutely insane 40, it means that when, you know, whether they're naturally gifted that fast or, from the time that the college season ended, they've been working very hard at it. And that's a good trait for a person to have that kind of hard work, grind it mentality. Yeah, for sure. And listen, there is running in gym short speed and there is game speed. And the game speed of Brian Thomas Jr. shows up all over his film. Uh, and in the SEC playing at LSU, he was playing against a lot of really talented secondaries and a lot of really talented cornerbacks made many of them, some of whom will be drafted at the end of April here in 2024, made a lot of them look silly. Now, in at LSU, I would say the one knock on him, and it'll be interesting to see how he manages some of these skill drills at the Combine, and it doesn't show up on film, did not have to run a lot of complex routes, was not really an in-breaking kind of guy. He really was a pure vertical threat for Jaden Daniels and that LSU attack. So I think there are valid questions about how complete his route tree is, but based on where he would slot into a Buffalo Bills offense, you already have a route technician in Stefan Diggs. You have, to me, who is a very underrated route runner and Khalil Shakir in the slot. You would be looking in this first year at a guy like Brian Thomas Jr. to be that vertical threat that can alleviate a lot of the pressure when defenses condense on that short area game that Joe Brady was so adept at scheming last year, he can alleviate a lot of that a lot of that pressure. And in year one, that's really all you need a wide receiver to opposite Diggs and Shakir to do is take the pressure off of that offense by by taking the top off of the defense. So Thomas to me is definitely a guy that can do that. 
and then the route running will come in year two and year three as he becomes a more complete wide receiver. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing that is worthwhile is talking about, you know, oftentimes, um, I don't know if it was Daniel Jeremiah or um, another kind of draft expert was talking about Brian Thomas and said, often fast guys aren't smooth and quick guys aren't, you know, quick guys aren't fast or something like that. And essentially, you know, when you see a really smooth strider, you don't often see them be very quick in and out of breaks and things like that. Choppy, right? Those choppy movements. He somehow combines that because he's long. He's 6'4". He's got big hands. He's got long arms. But yet he can also be snappy at the top of his root stem. And that, I think, is like, that's why he's the fourth best wide receiver in the class. And that's why I think that he's he's my number one target, who I believe is somewhat realistic. But it could all be blown up when he goes 12th overall, right? Like, we don't know what the top of the board's going to look like, and he's that good. Um, but again, the, he's the type of player that if he slides, I believe he if he's in striking range, Brandon Bean might go up and get him because he does also kind of have the kind the body type projection production over a number of years in college against top tier talent that he could, you know, grow from that experience he has into a bona fide number one outside receiver once Diggs kind of ages out of that position. I agree. And if you're looking at a place where the Bills may trade up, because I've seen a lot of like hopium out on Bill's Twitter. They're like, yeah, we're going to trade up with the Bears for number nine and we're going to get Roma Dunze. I'm like, we're, we're no, not we're not trading that. that level of of future draft capital to get a guy even as good as a Dunze. But if you are looking for the Bills to get aggressive and get their guy, if their guy is still on the board, I would look at right around pick 20, which always mm. seems to be the 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 place where the Chiefs and the Bills tend to play around with. Um, as they look to move up in the draft. But starting at round 20, you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers, who seem pretty set right now at wide receiver with the trio that they've got. You've got the Miami Dolphins, who are going to have a plethora of needs sitting at 21. They're probably going to need defensive line help. They're also going to need offensive line help. But you know that Josh, Mc... you know that Mike McDaniel loves a, a fast guy, and they need wide receiver depth pretty desperately behind both Waddle and Hill. So I wouldn't rule out wide receiver there. The Eagles seem pretty set with their wide receiver room, but depth could be a place that they go. Then you've got the Texans, and then here is where it gets interesting for me. Pick 24, pick 25, pick 26. Two of these three picks between the Cowboys, Packers, and Buccaneers respectively could very well be wide receiver. The Dallas Cowboys desperately need a legit number two behind um, C.D. Lamb. The Green Bay Packers have a pretty young trio, but you never know what they could potentially add. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are likely going to lose Mike Evans. This, to me, if you're Brandon Bean and you are shopping around for a wide receiver, this is where Brian Thomas could likely go if he goes before number 28, because both Dallas and Tampa Bay are looking for a wide receiver of exactly the profile that Brian Thomas Jr. is. So if you're looking for a trade-up, I'm looking 23 and above for the Bills to make that move if they really do feel like Thomas or another one of these X-style wide receivers is their guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's there's a couple of um a couple other receivers who are of in that kind of X size. And when we talk about an X receiver, we're really just talking about an outside receiver 
who's got the length and body type where they can kind of get off press, play along the boundaries. Um, Somebody who's over 6'1", usually, you know, smaller, faster, quick guys will play in the slot. And I think that, um, you know, Khalil Shakur is like six feet even, maybe a 6'1", so he's like very borderline. Um, I think big he's enough six, to play I think I think he I think he listed six two. Yeah. Oh, all yep, right. I think he listed six two. I'll look I'll look sure. that up, but yeah. Yeah, no no problem. But I, but he he doesn't really have the play style of an outside receiver. He can when he needs to, but he's not somebody who you look at and you're like, oh, that is the outside style field stretcher guy. Like he tends to trend more towards the play style of a slot receiver. And so the couple of people that I look at as possibilities for the Bills that also might fall. And I wouldn't be upset if they picked at 28, you know, 29 in that area um, are Troy Franklin and A.D. Mitchell, Adonai Mitchell out of Texas. Troy Franklin's out of Oregon. Um, the, the reason that they are at the bottom, you know, they both have great productivity. They both will probably test very well in the speed and, and you know, quickness categories. Um, but the reason that they are below those top four is because they're a little bit light. You know, A.D. Mitchell, 6'4". Troy Franklin, 6'3", um, 187, and A.D. Mitchell's just below 200 pounds. So when when you're looking for a true X outside receiver, number one receiver, you're looking for somebody who's 6'3", 6'4", over 200 pounds, thickly built, because it's proven, and this is the thing that kind of, you know, uh, scouts and things will look at when they're drafting, it's proven in the league that injury rates go up. I mean, look at Tank Dell, undersized, light. Um, couldn't make it through his rookie season, which started out amazing, right? Like, so there's a lot of different um, schools of thought that go into this, and, and one of them is a lighter, thinner wide receiver is more likely to get banged up, um, and so that's the reason some of them are a little bit lower. And then also uh, Troy Franklin and the Mitchell, you know, productivity hasn't been consistent. They're sort of one-hit wonders in a lot of ways. Totally, you were totally right about Shakir. Listed exactly yeah. at six feet, right? So. Yep. No idea what I was talking about, but yeah, yeah I was, I, that's okay. I wasn't yeah. going to call you out on the pod, but I'm like, oh, oh no, right, I'll, but whatever. I'll, I'll call myself out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love a Donnie Mitchell, um, AD Mitchell from Texas. And he is one who could very quickly shoot up a lot of draft boards for, a, for a few teams. He's listed right now at the combine at six, four. I think he weighed in at one ninety four. Um, he is his size and speed combination. There are teams that I think are are dying to see what he runs in the 40 because he's promised 4-2 if he can get a good start off the blocks. And we have seen on film his very, I mean, good hands. He had a lot of drop issues in 2022, really corrected that in this 2023 season. He's got that great short area burst as well, and his footwork for a dude that tall is incredible. If he ends up posting a 4-2, you get a team who's like, you know what? We can add 10 pounds to his frame to make him a little bit more durable on the outside. This dude becomes a problem. Um, and he is one right now graded in that round two area. I could see rising as a result of what happens at the combine this weekend. Yeah. And and honestly, I think that that's the kind of thing is like, I'm not upset if Bill's picking at the end of the first round, take either Troy Franklin or A.D. Mitchell. I'm I'm cool with those guys. Um, even though, you know, A.D. Mitchell's probably a top of the second rounder, Troy Franklin's late first, early second, um, in terms of the comes terms of their grades. Um, a player I do not want the Bills to pick at all, like please do not pick this player, is Keon Coleman. 
because oh, I watched yeah. a couple I watched a couple of his full games and I think that he's probably going to test well. That's going to somebody's going to fall in love with him for his speed and and in the classic mode of like, you know, the toxic relationships be like I can fix him. He has he has a massive problem separating. That's my biggest thing is like he's got some some wow plays and some sparkle plays where he like maybe the best contested catch receiver in this class, but it's because he's never separating. And that's always a red flag to me. If somebody is coming out in the draft and they're, and people are talking about how good they are on contested catches, all I'm hearing is that they're never going to separate at the NFL level, because that means they couldn't separate at the collegiate level against inferior opponents. So I, I was banging the Keon Coleman drum very early on in the process. And then I started watching some of his game film. And he is he is almost erased completely on a play mm -hmm. when when he faces press coverage. And that is not something I expected to see for a guy who is listed as a bill of six four in two fifteen. He had a very impressive game early on, first game of the season against LSU, then didn't have another hundred yard receiving game until he played Syracuse. And the ACC is not not necessarily sporting a lot of really great uh, right. secondary competition, right? So the production and what you see on film for a guy who is such a physical specimen to play with such a lack of physicality um, everywhere except usually the point of catch is definitely concerning. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Josh Allen does not, does not like to anticipate his throws. He doesn't like to anticipate his windows. He likes to see his guys get a little bit of daylight before he lets go of the ball. A guy like Coleman, who is not an elite separation guy, doesn't feel worthy of a first-round pick um, if he is going to bring you a lot of the same issues that the guy he was replacing, Gabe Davis, brought you, which was not really great route running, um, is okay at the point of catch, but can't doesn't play with jam. Can't beat yeah. a jam, can't run a route, yep. can't get a lot of separation, can't play with the physicality you need a guy of that size and build to do. So... No, I'm with you. If he's around in the yeah. second round, it mm. maybe the Bills take a flyer on him, but I, I cannot see him. I cannot see him as one that the Bills would trade up for or use that 28th pick on. Yeah, I don't even like him. I don't like him if he falls to the Bills pick at 60. Um, only because, and this is not in, uh, totally against him, I think that's probably a good value for him if he falls to that spot because he does have some nice traits and some traits that you won't find later in the draft in terms of that size speed, you know, mesh. But the the reason I'm saying not at 60 is because if you haven't gotten your wide receiver at 60, I think there's some other there's some other needs that are going to be re the value match is going to be excellent in that 60 spot for like defensive tackle, interior defensive line. Um and it might be better to wait later cuz like the way I see Keon Coleman, he's somebody who has a flaw, great traits, great kind of body size and and speed and stuff like that. But he has a big enough flaw that I, you know, there are guys we'll talk about in the three to five and six and seven round um, at wide receiver who, you know, I'm cool with because they're the same, right? Like they have one really wow trait and then they have a couple of flaws that are, they're not going to win with those traits. So one say I will say about Coleman, he catches freaking everything. Yeah. Like if, if the ball gets near him, his catch radius is insane. Yes, he doesn't he doesn't separate at an elite yeah. level, and I think that is a non starter for the QB that we have, but Dan he is like really sure handed. Like his he, drop yeah. rate low and there are balls where you watch his film, he has no business picking up that he picks up. I mean, his catch radius is insane. 
Absolutely. But the, the you know who else had an insane catch radius out of uh, Florida State? Who uh, are you going to say? Was it Kelvin Benjamin? Kelvin Benjamin, yes. <laughs> was it Kelvin Benjamin? Kelvin Benjamin was 6'5", 200 plus, had an insane catch radius and was getting contested balls in the red zone are we, all are, day. Are you saying Florida State only produces guys <laughs> that can catch the ball if they're in tight coverage in the college level and, and not yeah, the NFL um, level? No, I mean, I'm sure you can go far enough and find one Florida State receiver who's awesome, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Oh, dear God. You know what? Neither can I, but there's got to be. Let me. Oh, my God. Let me. I'm going to Google this. Yeah. You Google that, and I'm going to talk about a couple of players that are in that second round target. Um, So if I'm in the second round, one person that's worth mentioning because I actually love what he did at the Senior Bowl, and I I love watching him on tape is Lad McConkey. I just don't think he's like a proper fit for what the Bills really need. The spot they need to fill on their offense is not a small, shifty slot type receiver. But he is just so cool as a route runner. I think he has excellent separation. I mean, even if, if the Bills ended up picking him up, it would be the kind of thing where they're voting with, with Joe Brady's confidence that he could make him productive, and I'd be pretty good with it. He played in Georgia, so top-level competition, absolutely lit up the Senior Bowl, made some top-round talent at CB look foolish with his route running. He might be the, the most crisp route runner in the whole thing. Vlad McConkey probably end of the first, early second. Um Roman Wilson out of Michigan, only six feet tall and less than 200 pounds, but actually plays bigger than Keon Coleman, like very thick in the lower body and um, does, you know, makes make some people pay a little bit more physicality. And then Jermaine Burt out of Alabama, again, SEC competition, top tier competition. Um, and, you know, without an excellent quarterback, made some hay, has consistently performed between, you know, four and 500 uh, snaps per season. And so shown some good things. He's in, he's a senior. I know the Bills like to draft seniors. So Jermaine Burton is somebody that if the Bills end up going like defense in round one, I could see them taking Jermaine Burton in round two or even trading up in two to get him. Yeah, Lad McConkey feels like a duplicative set of skills with Khalil Shakir. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, everyone is like salivating over his senior bowl. Uh, tape and it was impressive and there are a lot of guys at the combine that are smarter than me who are saying that McConkey has real inside outside versatility so don't let the size profile fool you he is a guy that can get separation against bigger corners on the outside I you know McConkey, I agree with you I think right now he's probably second round pending what happens at the combine this weekend I could see a team like Kansas City Or I could even see a team like Miami talking themselves into him somewhere in the first round. I really could. Um, You know, Miami still doesn't have a lot of draft capital and they have a lot of needs. I could see them going down in the draft to accumulate more picks Mm. and then use a a later first round pick on a guy like McConkie and still package maybe another third or second round pick to then build up that offensive line a little bit because it's a deep tackle class as well. Sure. So... So there could be some shenanigans around McConkie, depending on what kind of numbers the student actually ends up putting up at the combine. Um, what are your thoughts on Javon Baker out of uh, Central Florida? Have you done any work on him yet? No, no, I'm watching any of his stuff. I am. I am quickly becoming. He's not like Puka Nakua for me yet. I've got uh-huh. a. Di- I've got a different Puka Nakua. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about when we get to round six and seven at wide receiver. Okay. But he feels like a dude that could be in the second or third round pretty easy wide receiver yeah. out of uh wide receiver out of um 
University of Central Florida, um, has a lot of great route running on tape, is a big play threat, has real game speed as well, decent catch radius. He feels like a dude to me that could really sneak into the second round, especially the latter part of that second round. Mm-hmm. If the Bills end up going, if the Bills end up going defense for whatever reason in the first round, which you know I'm highly against, but he feels like a guy who, depending on how he grades out throughout the rest of the pre-draft process, feels like a guy to me that could be there for the Bills in the second or even the third round. Um, maybe even like one of the double dips that we talked about. Yeah in the wide receiver position, but I really like this kid Baker out of Central Florida. Um, I, I'll tell you who my, like, second and third round. Uh, I already talked about Jermaine Burton as, like, kind of a higher in the second round guy, but down lower in the second round, depending on how he tests, Xavier Worthy out of Texas. Um, That's the dude who said he was going to run a 4-2, not Mitchell. Yes. Worthy okay. said he was going to run yeah. a 4-2. So yes, thank you. He is he is fast. Like, when I watched, um, I watched a couple of his games. I think he watched. I watched him against Oklahoma, um, but he just like every route he ran. All I all I kept thinking is Tyreek Hill. This is Tyreek Hill. Like he moves on the field like Tyreek Hill. It's like so sudden that every player on the opposing defense just gives him cushion in every possible direction until he commits. And then they made get made look foolish when he breaks it off and runs a different direction. Like it's he, I mean, geez, he's not the body type or like the, the length that, you know, a traditional X receiver has, but he is so fun to watch. And I would love to see what Joe Brady could do with him. And he's probably going to be there in the middle of the second round into the end of the second round. And if he is, I think that, you know, if they, again, a double dip, or if the bills haven't addressed wide receiver yet, he's somebody that could be exciting. Um, Brendan Rice, Jerry Rice's son. And the reason I say this is because anybody who watched, you know, we're old enough to, to have seen Jerry Rice when he was playing, um, you know, when we were teenagers and stuff, he, it's just like the, the bloodlines, like he's not a super high prospect. He's probably ranked in the, the late third, early fourth round, um, or, you know, late second, early third round, I guess he, um, the bloodlines are strong and like his father had the, the, the like best work ethic of any wide receiver in the league because Jerry Rice was talented. Of course, like he's a hall of famer. Um, but more than, more than that, he just outworked everybody. He's one of the first wide receivers in the league in his era to like work around the clock all season, all off season to work on his craft and perfect it, uh, and work on his speed, work on his body. Like, there was a lot of people taking summers off back then, and, and he was not one of them. So that's one thing that I like a little bit is is Brendan Rice is not coming out for all of that kind of you know notoriety, not coming out super high in this draft. But I bet you if it was a worse class, he's easily a top of the second round player. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I've got Rice in my like fifth to sixth round picks. So if the Bills mm. end up going wide receiver one, um, I think Rice could potentially be there for him for them at the end of the fourth round, but very likely in the fifth or sixth round. And he could be another great double dip option. I like I really like his game. And when I watch him on film, I see shades of a taller Khalil Shakir. So what I love about mm-hmm. Shakir is that Shakir is not sudden in his routes, 
but he's very smooth on his release and his release is always on time. Like I, I watch film of the bills and I feel like Shakir is just always open when Alan needs him to be open. And I feel like rice with a little bit development could be a taller version of that. Cause he is, he's a very long strider. So he doesn't have a lot of that short area twitchiness that you like to see for guys that are running some of these in breaking routes. But what he does have is a very smooth, almost casual release off of his route. But then he takes one or two big, long strides and he gains a lot of separation. Again, not elite speed to me. And because his route release is so smooth, like border, borderline, like looks almost effortless on tape, but like in the bad way, effortless, like he's not trying, you know, um, right. I think I think he's a guy that despite the bloodlines could end up dropping now. If he goes to the combine and runs like a four three, I think he's probably a pretty easy third round pick. But he is a dude I could see later on in the draft. The Bills really pick up. Nice. Um, I got a couple of guys that I absolutely love watching, but I don't think that they're going to be picked by the Bills because they are more of a slot prototype. But what are your thoughts? Um, have you checked out Malachi Corley or Malik Washington? Both, yes. Both. Okay, and I agree yeah. with you. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't think they. I don't think they fit what the Bills are looking for. I don't think yet. they're. Yeah, I don't think they fit what the Bills are looking for. But some team that really needs slot, you know, slot players is going to pick one of these two guys. Um, I think Malik Washington might be my Puka Nakua, that like is going to go in the fifth, sixth round, and somebody's going to get him and just you know it, light the world on fire. Mostly because of his like, he played against some some decent competition. And his like grade versus man coverage, according to PFS draft guide, is like outrageous. He catches, you know, his separation is outrageous, uh, very fast, but he's so small. I mean, he's 5'8, 194. Uh, and so I think that he could probably, he, he's going to make some hay, I think, calling it. I like All that. Right. Do I you like have, that. do you have any other targets in the kind of middle rounds? Cause we, we've talked about our, you know, what What do you think about Tez Walker or Jalen Polk? You know, Jalen Polk is interesting to me. He has the opposite problem of Brendan Rice. Polk is like a really short strider. So as a result of that, his choppy. T- he's very choppy, right? And he doesn't hit, as a result, he doesn't hit his top gear, his top end speed uh, mm-hmm. very quickly. So uh, he's a very, very choppy route runner. All of the smoothness that you would attribute to to a guy like Rice, he does not have, right? But he is not sudden in his releases. He is jerky. So I think with some development, absolutely, because you've got to love the overall athletic profile. But he he is a dude, I think, that is a little bit more of a project. And he definitely needs an alpha dog playing next to him, like he did in Washington with Adunze this year. Yeah, Jalen Polk, 6'2", out of Washington. He's a sophomore coming out, so you have the kind of upside of, of a younger player who you can develop a little bit and has played about half his snaps inside, half his snaps outside as a f- true X receiver. Um, and then the other one I asked about was Tez Walker out of North Carolina, UNC. He's coming out as a junior, 22, almost 23 years old, 6'2", 200, so he does have X size. Um, Haven't done a lot of work on Walker as of yet. Um, but based on the little bit that I have read, and I'm curious to see where he grades out at the combine. I think he's at the combine this weekend. Um, I'd be, I'd be curious about him again in those latter rounds. Like I, 
I got to tell you, most of my draft board, JJ, is guys I would take in the first round and then guys I would take in the sixth, fifth, sixth, or seventh round. Because I've reserved the middle rounds for safeties, linebackers, tackles, guards. Yeah. Like I am so planting a flag in wide receiver round one. And like I have trumpeted this cause for two pods now going on three. Like if. If I, I feel like if I am looking at second and third and fourth mm. round, round wide receivers, it is giving Brandon Bean tacit permission to pull the trigger on a freaking edge in round one, right? Yes. Like Greg Russo. Chop Robinson, but, uh, who just ran a 4-4. Jesus I know, right? But like, for the love of God. And I'm hearing the rationalization already in some in Bill's Twitter and Bill's media. Like, well, would you rather have wide receiver six at 28 or edge like three in this draft. Mm-hmm. I want wide receiver freaking six, man, because <laughs> edge three is not getting to Patrick. Let me, He's not let, getting to Patrick. Mahomes. Let me, let me ask you this question. Is, is Layatu Latu worth it at 28? That's, that's a silly question. He's like a top 10 prospect in the draft that never had, that's not going to happen. He was medically, he, he was medically retired from football before he transferred. And so there's like, depending on how the medicals go at the, at the, uh, combine, there's a chance he could drop some. He, he's graded so high I though. Know. It, it would, it, I mean, but, uh, but what I'm saying, have to say, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're I'm, saying. I'm asking the question of like, if it's, if it's edge one, right. Or two, I guess he's two. Uh, I mean, he's my edge one. I, he's okay. my edge yeah. one. Um, cause it's him and, and who else? The kid out of, uh, uh Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. Jervin Jerse Jerse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, oh my God, why are we forgetting his name? Cause we're talking <laughs> about defense next week. That's why I'll look him and up. No, yeah. because I have not committed any round one edges to memory at JJ, because this is wide. Re- this is the year yeah. wide receiver round one. Don't make me talk about this. This is wide <laughs> receiver round one. Dallas yeah. Turner is, Dallas the, Turner. is yeah, the edge yeah. from Alabama. I, Jared Verse is the guy from FSU, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Latu. Yeah, I've got, Ver, I've got, I think Verse is probably edge three in this. Yeah. So like, if I no, 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 still no. no. All right, no, it's good. I want that's the that's the question I was asking. I wanted to know if it was like one of the top premier edge defenders, which is a severe need for the Bills. So, if you would it, still it, feel wide receiver one. It's a need, right? But there's no Miles Garrett in this draft. There is no Nick or Joey Bosa in True. this draft, yeah. right? Yep. So like the drop off between a verse or a Turner down to some of these guys that you could get in the second and third round is not that severe for me. Yeah. Whereas wide receiver, again, when you look at the specific profile the Bills need, I feel like on this roster, there is a bit of a drop off there. Not just in the in the quality or caliber of the prospect, but in the overall physical profile that you're looking to fill a very specific need on this roster. There is a drop off. So I I would still say no, right? Um do you want to talk about like late round wide receiver receivers, wide receiver sleepers, and then yeah. go on to some other potentially sneaky offensive areas of need? Yes. All right. I wanna I wanna talk to you about my Pukunakua. And this guy might not even get drafted because right now he's not in a lot of draft guides. He's not on a lot of top 256 big boards right now. He's not even on a lot of top 300 big boards. But this is a guy, when you watch on film, really, really jumps. Hmm. This guy is Bub Means from the University of Pittsburgh. 
Bub Means. No, I don't sit, even know that name. Sit, learn this name and watch yeah, some okay. watch, watch some tape on this dude. 6'2", 215, yeah. redshirt senior out of the University of Pittsburgh. Fast, big, great route runner. He is an absolute beast at the point of catch. Beast at the point of catch. And there are a lot of there are a lot of boards that have this kid not even getting drafted, going full UDFA. Wow. To me, he feels like a great seventh round steal for the Bills if they're looking for that wide receiver double dip. He was listed on the oh Bruce Feldman, Bruce yes, Feldman's right. college freaks list. He was listed as number six on the list mm. this year, right? Okay. I mean, six two plays bigger than that big frame at six two and two fifteen. And the speed, the game speed anyway, no idea what he's going to run on the 40. Game speed really does pop off. He's got great agility. He's got great burst. He could be everything the Bills are looking for on the outside. Okay, nice. I like that. Bub um, means. Commit bub this to means. memory, Bills Mafia. <laughs> I like that. No, I love that you're bringing up you know, some deep, deep cuts. Um, for me in that six or seven is, uh, is Bryson Nesbitt. Oh, yeah. UNC. Six five, and he might rise depending on how he tests and, and different things. Six five, two thirty five, like big body. Um, played a lot in the slot, which I thought found surprising at UNC. But the thing that I liked about him is his kind of like game to game grades increased throughout the season. So you love that with a junior when it looks like you know it's making more sense to them. Their awareness is is going up game by game, and so I think that that's a you know um, a possibility for the Bills to look at. He had a really good grade versus man coverage. Um, for a big body, that's nice, you know, uh, and then also a contested catch rate that's pretty high, but that's not the only way he wins. Yeah, no, I love that pick. I think that's I think we are bringing great sleeper picks here to this. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing there. The 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 sort of narrative on this class is that after round like four, you're unlikely to find a lot of great value in rounds five, six and seven. So right. I think I was listening to PFF's podcast. And they were talking about overall draft picks. And right now the Bills have 10, which is more than any other team in the draft currently. But a lot of those picks are sitting in rounds five, six, and seven. And so the PFF guys said, if there was every year where you did not want a lot of those picks, it would be this year because they feel like the drop off from day two to day three is so significant. And I got to tell you, though, you and I, you and I have shared a lot of criticism of Bean and roster management, but where this guy eats is in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. Bean seems to find guys that McDermott and that coaching staff can develop in these latter rounds like nobody's business. And if there were ever a guy who I would want with that kind of draft stock and draft ammo in those latter rounds, looking at guys like Bub Means, it would be Brandon Bean. Because I don't know that I would trust any other GM, and I'd put Brent Veach up there as well, yeah. to do as good a job drafting in these latter rounds. I will give you one more end of the draft uh, wide receiver that I love. Hayden Hatton, Idaho Vandals. Yes. I know um, this one too. Yeah. Yeah. 62205 redshirt junior. Um but one of those players who like it's hard to ri- it's it's kind of like um who was uh I'm trying to think of where did uh, Andre Reed come out of what college? Cuz he was uh, not a high draft pick. He was not. I need to look this up. He yeah. he came out of a secondary school. But this is what that reminds me of. Is this a player with like skills and speed and kind of the body type? 
Um, but he just didn't get a lot of pub because he played for the Idaho Vandals. Um, his he played you know, at Kutztown University. Okay, exactly. Reed, yeah. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. And not to say Hayden had it as the next Andre Reed, but he's um he's kind of got a great build for a wide receiver. And what I liked about his game is that he had two consistent years of excellent receiving with very poor quarterback play. I mean, he only had one credited drop, but on 131 targets, he only had 93 receptions, which tells you how close the rest of those hundred or you know those. 40 or so balls were to him that he only dropped one pass. Absolutely. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, no, that that's a, this is, this is, this is great late round draft fodder. Like for yes. all of you listening at home, we are making you smarter and sound more <laughs> credible when yeah. you talk about the draft. If you drop a bub means or you drop yes. some, some other, of these Hayden names, Hatton or Hayden, Bryson. Nesbitt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You, this is pure gold. This is pure gold for water cooler talk. If you, uh, if you continue to talk around water coolers these days, yes, I have no exactly. idea. Yeah. Um, no, nah, man, I love it. And again, these are names that Bill's Mafia should commit to memory because Brandon Bean can make some hay in these latter rounds. Um, JJ, I, I think everyone feels like wide receiver is the premium position the Bills need to focus on, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We're going to talk about defense, defensive prospects in this draft a little bit next week. But I do think there are some other areas of offensive need, particularly on the line, depending on how free agency and cap casualty season plays out for the Buffalo Bills. I think, especially with 10 picks, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Bills splash around. Maybe not in the third round, maybe not in the second round, but definitely fourth, fifth, and sixth round. Splash around to some other areas along the line. What are some areas of need along the line you are looking at, and what are some names we should keep in mind? Um, so I'm I'm looking at tackle because I think that that's the the area that you know the Bills were very very lucky to um, to maintain health you know on the outside um, with both tackles this year, but you have to worry about that a little bit because um, you know we know that tackles a pretty high injury rate position. You know you get rolled up on. And those sorts of things. So um, the two names that I have as as like third third or later, like th- between three and five um, is kind of the target zone for these guys. Matt Goncalves out of uh, Pitt. He's 6'6", 330, um, but I think he can move pretty well. Um, his his best play is in gap, gap p- power running, you know. Um, but he does decent work in zone and he's a very good pass blocker for his size, um, which is not, you know, shouldn't be that difficult at six six three thirty. Matt Goncalves, uh, out of Pitt. And we know that the bills have a connection to the Pitt coaching staff. Um, Sean McDermott likes them, trusts them. And that's a player that, that they could target in that kind of third to fourth round. Uh, Dominic Pooney out of Kansas is another six five three twenty tackle, same kind of body type as Matt Goncalves. Um, but his thing is that he is an excellent, excellent pass blocker. Um, he showed very well, I, I think, against, you know, lesser competition, of course, teams like Utah, or I'm sorry, UCF, um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma U, like, they're good programs, but they're not elite. Um, Missouri, right? Uh, but he, uh, Dominic Pooney, is, is one of those targets that every time I'm doing, like, a mock and, and playing through those middle rounds is somebody that keeps popping up, and I, I can't pass on him. I can't make myself pass on him because... Um, it's too good of a value at that level in the draft and that kind of fourth round, top of the fourth, bottom of the third. How about you? 
I'm looking, and this so, so much of this depends on the Mitch Morris situation because, as we have noted, Mitch Morris could be a cap. Ca Mitch Morris could be a cap casualty this year, and I think about the the level of health that this Buffalo Bills offensive line had, and where I look at where they're weakest, I tend to look at the interior. Because right now, Ryan Bates is kind of like your backup for every interior position, particularly if you lose David Edwards and free agency. So as a result of that, I'm thinking the Bills are going to look again at interior. I know we just spent a premium pick on Osiris Torrance, so I don't believe we go, like I said, second or even third round there. Again, pending what happens with, with Mitch Morris. But I think maybe maybe our comp pick for Tremaine mm -hmm. Edmonds, mm -hmm. or maybe even later in the fourth round, we could see the Bills splash around with someone who's got center guard versatility. And I'm looking specifically at a guy like Zach Frazier, who's the center out of West Virginia. Um, we, sir, have pined on this pod for one Creed Humphrey for many, many uh, a years, uh, ever since the the absolute shenanigans being pulled and drafting Boogie Basham over Creed Humphrey way back when in the 2021 draft. I think Zach Frazier would be a would be potentially a way for Bean to make that up to Bill's Mafia. This dude's 6'3", 310. He's reliable. He's got a stout frame. Um, he has he is an absolute dog in the middle of that offensive line. And I think he could potentially flip, swing out to guard until you are ready to fully replace Mitch Morris and his versatility in the center of that offensive line. But Zach Frazier is a guy who I look at. He is likely going to be, depending on how he grades out and depending on the need that that teams put on this particular position, he could very well be late second, early third round. So he may be out of the Bills' wheelhouse at that point. But, dude, this is a guy I would love to see on the roster if he is there with our comp pick. Okay. I like it, except I think he's probably going to go higher. I think he's going to be high in the second I don't think, think he's going to be the, you think high second. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and only because I think he's the best the second best center in the league between behind JPJ J, Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon. I think he's the second best true center and I think that center is probably the second highest value offensive line position. I think it goes in order tackle, center, guard. Yeah. Um I think I think I've got him yeah. third on my list. I've got okay. Graham, Graham Barton who depending on uh, which draft guide you listen to. Yeah. He's listed as tackle and interior offensive mm -hmm. line, so he's mm -hmm. a dude that has a lot of line versatility. But, right. um, I mean, he played tackle at Duke, but in the pros, I mean, I think he really does profile out to play interior. So I've got um, Jackson Powers Johnson, Graham Barton, and then I've got Zach Frazier. But I agree with you, and we've talked about this before, it is getting harder and harder to find reliable prospects on the interior of that offensive line in the draft i could very well see someone taking a guy like zach frazier in the, in the second round like it's not beyond yeah. a realm of possibility yeah. for me well and i'll say this and i know we're kind of i'm jumping around a little bit we not going in like that kind of clean order of you know top tier second tier third tier whatever cooper bb kansas state guard uh senior six four three thirty five kind of that ideal build um and played consistent snaps you know through his career at k-state um and cooper bb the thing that's nice about him is that he's got a versatility he's he's listed as a guard um but he has you know a probably 19 20 snaps each season 
at left tackle of the last two seasons. And then in 2021, he played 734 the entire season there. So he's got durability, which I think is really nice. Um, and then left guard also played uh, snaps at right guard and right tackle. So he's sort of like a Ryan Bates-esque who plays um, all the positions, both sides. So the amb- we've talked before about the difference of playing left or right tackle, left or right guard and the way that it changes your body mechanics in in the trench play and how that can basically throw somebody. That's probably why we'll never see Osiris Torrance flip over to the left guard. Like there's there's if somebody goes down even if he's your next best guard, he'll stay at right and you'll bring whoever else is in to to spell the left because he just has the body mechanics and, and setup. That's where his true natural set is and he probably won't be moving around the line. But somebody like Cooper Beebe you can get in like the fourth or fifth round or even maybe the sixth, um, but is, you know, is graded incredibly high in pass blocking and in true pass set grades, um, which is when, you know, if we're looking at PFF or other analysis sites, they call a true pass set pass block grade is, is like, you know, it's not just it was a pass play and he did this. It was it was a pass play. No, you know, the defense knew it was coming he had a one-on-one or had to do kind of a, a real rep in pass blocking and, and was successful. So Cooper Beebe is a target for me in the kind of that middle to late at guard slash tackle kind of versatile. That would be great too. I mean, and we know the Bills prioritize line versatility all up and down that line. So that would be an amazing, that would be an amazing late round get for them for sure. Um, JJ, a couple other areas of need here as we wrap things up on the offense. Um, and Bills Mafia is going to hate this, but I'm not projecting this to be in the third round. But I think they're going to. I think they're going to dip one of these ten picks into running back. I think they're going to have mm-hmm. to. Um, I think because I don't think Damian Harris comes back. I think they part ways with Naheem Hines. I think they find a way to bring back Ty Johnson. But we know that this this Buffalo Bills coaching staff they for whatever reason love to carry three running backs on the roster at any given time. So. Feasibly, if you bring back Cook and you bring back Johnson, you already kind of have your agile, one-cut, like, burner types. So the draft in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, the Bills could be looking for that power back to add to the mix. And I present to you a perfect sixth, seventh, or fifth round pick in that regard in Braylon Allen running oh, back running I sent back you out a of text. Wisconsin. Did you? Did you send me a text about this guy? I sent you a text about this guy like two weeks ago and I wasn't even looking for him, but I was watching, um, I was watching him play in Wisconsin because I was watching the center Tanner Bordellini, who's like a late, late, late six or seven round target for Wisconsin. I was watching their film for the center play and Braylon Allen took a snap and I'm like, wait, hold on. What, what, what the hell is this? Who is this person? I've got a six. 6'2", 245. He's a fullback. This dude's a fullback, right? Like, think Mike Allstott type. Yes. um, But, like, so here here is the knock on this kid. And and I agree agree it's all over his film. He looks remarkably uncomfortable running in space. Like, if there is not someone around this kid that he can knock down with the football in his hands, he he looks a little bit kind of off-kilter and off-balance. And I think because he played in Wisconsin... It's valid how much of his production was as a result of that offensive line he played behind versus how much of it is some of his elite athletic traits. 
I think teams are going to have a hard time separating those two factors. And as a result, I think he's going to be there for the Bills, fifth, sixth, even seventh round potentially. But he is exactly the type of physical running back that they are looking for that I think would round out that running back room nicely. And again, I'm, I'm kind of half joking about the fullback thing, but at 6'2", 245, we know the Bills are one of the few teams that that carries a fullback. I am never advocating for getting rid of Reggie Gilliam, don't get me wrong, but at some point, this could be the Gilliam replacement, given his size and his profile. The thing you just said about him seeking out contact made me think of Zach Moss. Do you remember Zach Moss's first... Yeah, dude, I sent you uh, February. <laughs> I February, need to find it. Saturday, February 3rd, I sent you a link to the Bra- Braylon Allen Wisconsin Badgers Jr. highlights. And I said, if this guy is available in the fifth and other more pressing needs have been met, he is the bruiser they've been looking for. He re- I mean, um, seriously, he he will he will run away from open space to run into a guy because yes. he's just more comfortable operating in contact. Absolutely. But but my point stands. Remember Zach Moss coming out in the draft said I like to make guys make business decisions, and yeah. then showed up and he ended up running into contact, but never making anybody hurt. Right? Yeah, like I it know, was right. he ran towards contact and never looked tough. And that's not to say he's not had a good career with the Colts after the Bills let him go. But you know it's the kind of thing where um, I hope Braylon Allen carries himself in the NFL as he does in college because, like I said, I was watching. Bordellini and I was like what the hell is going on with this guy this back is insane um that's a good that's a good pick man um he's probably my my draft crush in the terms of like the late late rounds yeah um just because of what he brings uh to the table I guess like I don't know it's tough because it's not a very it's not a good running back class not really at all it's not um I guess if they're in like the late third, early fourth, Audric Estime, yeah. who's 5'11", 227, also a very physical running style out of Notre Dame. Um, Braylon Allen's going to be one of the youngest players drafted in this draft. Audric Estime is not very far behind him. Um, he's 20, not even 21. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, yeah, so like there's a couple of those guys. Uh, Isaac, <laughs> Isaac Garendo out of Louisville. Is another six one two twenty five you know player. He's gonna he's gonna be pretty big, um. But you know, I it's Braylon Allen for me, or or nobody in those middle to late rounds. And that's the thing with running back is no matter how the class overall grades out from from draft gurus, there are always guys that you can find yeah. at the running back position that can grow into a difference maker in the latter rounds. There always is. That's why the position on second year and third year contracts has been devalued so much. So, so these are names again, Bill's mafia to remember because it's very likely that you're going to see them on the roster. JJ last position. I want to talk about before we wrap up here and it might be a surprising one, uh, quarterback. And it is not because I think we need to replace Josh Allen to be clear. Yeah. But we are at the point with the cap situation of this team and Allen's overall contract, that signing a high-priced backup to back up Josh Allen may no longer be a viable option for them. So, and we saw this happen. Um, we saw this happen with Tom Brady in New England. With the with, I mean, Garoppolo was you know a little bit much, but you know Jarrett Stidham being drafted. Teams that typically have great QBs will eventually start 
to draft younger versions of those QBs to cultivate as backups. One, because they're contract controlled. Two, because if your number one QB goes down in the middle of the season anyway, regardless of how good of a backup you have, your season is likely over at that point to begin with. So you may as well have cheap contract controlled backup um, on the roster so that you're not over-investing in that particular position. I think the Bills are there with their cap situation. So I would like to submit uh, for your approval, sir, one Spencer Rattler out of, <laughs> I think, at North Carolina State. Um, I think he's got the physical profile that the Bills would be looking for to try to sustain, to sustain their offense in the, in the event of a Josh Allen injury. May, may God please never let it happen, right? But if yeah. it does... He's got the type of physical profile and the traits that they would look for as someone who can run the style of offense Brady wants to run. Yeah, I think he has starting potential, and I think that that would make, you know, you want your backup to have starting potential. I think he he's pretty mature in the position, which I really like um, in terms of, like, pocket presence and being able to make plays outside of structure. So I, I like Spencer Rattler. Um, he is not my number one pick for the backup to Josh Allen for a long time. I don't know. Can you guess who my guy is? He's probably a fifth rounder. Can I guess who your guy is? Hang on. Let me pull up. There's, my... o- there's only like 20 quarterbacks in this entire draft class. Which is crazy. People, people think are going to get drafted. I yeah. know, right? As I, but I mean, it's also like very true. It's a very top-heavy class. And then after that, I mean, it's a lot. Yep. It's a crapshoot. So fifth rounder, QB, Actually has a chance to get drafted. Let me see here. Well, let me pull up my QB list. Um. Oh, is it Joe Milton out of Tennessee? Oh, see, this is why we pod together, brother, because you it like is. know it's, me it? so well. It's Joe Milton, the he's third. Dude, yeah, because dude's got a he cannon. Is, he's got a he's, he, cannon. He is Josh Allen. He's the Josh Allen of this class without the like high round first round pedigree. Because he's a he's way more raw. He reminds me a little bit of that UB quarterback that the Bills brought in um, oh, to back I, up yeah, 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 yeah. Tyrod. Who he was, he was the one yeah. Steve Smith had to have a talking to at the combine because he was just drilling yes. wide receivers yes. and pass catching drills. Well, he was like, yeah, you got you got to take something off of it. So Joe Milton the third is like he's like cannon. He's a massive athlete. He is he is exactly Josh Allen's height and weight. He's 6'5", 235 on Tyree, the nose. Tyree Jackson. That was the kid. Yeah, that's right. Tyree Jackson. So Joe Milton the third, um, out of Tennessee, he is precisely Josh Allen's like height, weight. Um, he is not he, he is his processing is poor. Um, like just poor. He, he's the kind of player who um, you know, he doesn't have the instincts or accuracy like to be a starter at this point, but his traits, his size and his arm are the kind that if you get him in a system and can develop him, it's the kind of thing that like he could be that player that the bills trade away for a second round pick after the preseason one year after he's backed up Josh for two years. You know what I'm saying? Like one of those, absolutely. Just like you, you mentioned with Garoppolo, right? Like you, you bring in a quarterback. So you have a low cost backup. You don't have to worry about backup for a few years. Um, and you develop a guy in your system and, and see if all that you say about being a coaching staff that focuses on draft and develop is true. Um, Joe Milton third, that's my guy. Um, it, I still have pain and, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress from the JP Lossman pick out of Tulane. 
Oh, but dear God. but Michael Pratt out of Tulane's probably going to go in the second or third round if he's hanging around the fourth round. Um, six three two twenty, definitely more of at a pro ready, um, you know, prospect than uh than Joe Milton because he's got good fundamentals. He's he's strong in his drop back. He knows how to deliver the ball. Impressive touch. Those are sorts of things that you know. He's got smaller measurables than Josh Allen, but definitely makes up for them with with skill and kind of nuance in play that uh, Milton doesn't have. So those absolutely. are my those are my two. Um, I am absolutely one hundred percent steering clear of Talia Tagovailoa because <laughs> he is he is all of the bad traits that his older brother Tua has with hardly any of any of the anticipatory throwing or good traits. Like he's small uh, and. He's small and he's relatively slow and he does not, you know, have that kind of strong, you know, anticipatory touch that his older brother has. Yeah. Out of Maryland. I, yeah. I would agree with that. And I love how you're bringing in AFC East bitterness into the yes. breakdown. Yeah. Here's a guy I would never go after. <laughs> Here's after a guy I would never go after. Yeah, we've that, only talked about guys we'd love to see. Yeah. <laughs> that other starting quarterback in our league's little brother sucks. That's right. <laughs> Take that to us. Yeah. That's your fault too. Right. <laughs> Um, nope. One more name I'll submit for consideration along the same lines as Melton. Good QB, suffered some injuries. Jordan Travis, uh, mm. QB oh, out, yeah. out of Florida State. I think he very likely goes on day three, but I think at 6'1", 212, when, when he was playing healthy, very, very productive. Love his mobility and his off-script playmaking, I think are something that the Bills would covet because Allen brings that to the table too. And that's really what you're looking for in a young rookie QB yeah. to be a potential backup and play two, three, four games in a row if Allen is, for whatever reason, God forbid, hurt. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and Jordan Travis is one of those players who, like, he has that kind of, like, competitive fire that if you watch Josh Allen when he was at Wyoming, you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, dude, you got to do the – you just let this play go. Like, you're going to – something terrible is going to happen. I know. Someone's yeah. going to get hurt, and it yeah. like, might be you, right? So, yeah. Exactly. No, but lo- love the toughness on this kid. I think I yep. think he is – I think this dude's Buffalo through and through, but, you know, we'll see if he makes it to us or not. So, all right, man. I think that does it for us on the offensive side of the ball. So, next week, defensive side of the ball. Um, and stay tuned after this pod because we have our third and final installment of Friends of the Pod, not Friends of the Bills, with our good friend Steve giving us his takes on the Miami Dolphins and what he thinks they need to do to uh to achieve Tua. their foot. Yeah, not to a right, or maybe not to a. But <laughs> yeah. listen to the pod to find out, right? But um, yeah, what the Dolphins need to do to ultimately do what a lot of analysts thought they'd do last year, which is supplant the Bills as the top dog in the AFC East. So. Stay tuned to listen to that. It was a great pod. Uh, JJ, this was a great pod as well. I love talking draft. And for all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills. Welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We are continuing our Friends of the Pod series that Dan has been hosting um, in my brief absence as I'm dadding out. Uh, It's been a nice trip so far with the Pats and the Jets. And now here tonight, we welcome back Friend of the Pod, Steve, with his his beloved Dolphins and what they're going to do this offseason. Take us in, Dan, and welcome Steve. 
Welcome, Steve, again. It's good to have you back on the pod, sir. So we are excited to have you. So you are the capper on our Friends of the Pod, Not Friends of the Bills series. We love talking to our resident experts on other AFC East teams. We're going to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the origins of your fandom this evening and then talk to our, our listeners at home about what you think the Dolphins need to do in order to unseat the now four-time AFC East champion Buffalo Bills. I see you shaking your head. We are not a video pod, but trust me, yeah. Bills fans, it is a sorry, solemn head shake that we are getting yeah. from, from our friend Dolphin fan here. So, so we'll give you a chance to talk about all of it. Um, but first, Steve, we've got some new listeners to the pod um, yeah. over the past couple of weeks. Why don't you reintroduce yourself to anyone who may not be familiar with your work as a Dolphins fan? Tell yeah. us a little bit about when you started liking the team. Excellent. Well, thank you both for having me on again. Um, I always love sharing my Dolphins pride and sorrows um, with both both of you. So, um, yeah, so my my Dolphins journey, I mean, I started way back when with Dan Marino back in early 90s, as far as I can remember. Uh, he was a Pittsburgh guy. I grew up, played college there and drafted, obviously, by the Dolphins. Uh, and there's that connection of like, oh, my gosh, he's from Pennsylvania. I live in Pennsylvania. This is really cool. Um, Dolphins are kind of at peak, you know, performance at that time. And I just kind of gravitated towards that. Um, you know, Dan, the man, you know, he was everywhere. Um, and I've stuck with them through thick and thin, um, more thin than, you know, it's it's been rough. Uh, but but here we are. Um, we're. You know, we're, we're right there. I think, you know, we're above average. We're no longer average. Um, and it's making those tweaks, those fine-tuning things to uh, hopefully get us to the next level and uh, not just into the playoffs, but through the playoffs. Awesome, sir. We appreciate it. So, and you mentioned how close you guys are as a team and as a franchise. This is probably, on paper, the up there with the Bills for the most talented roster in the AFC East, 100% for sure. You've got a great young coach in Mike McDaniel. Easy. You guys are doing some really fun things on offense. And even though Fangio is no longer a part of your defensive coaching staff, the defense took strides forward this season as well. And if you guys get healthy, you're still loaded on that side of the ball. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things I feel like you have to look forward to. But this past season, things didn't go the way that I think a lot of prognosticators and Dolphins fans were hoping it would. A lot of people preseason had the Dolphins as unseating the Buffalo Bills, and for a long time, it looked that way. Even JJ and I were lamenting before the Bills went on that run that we were going to be a wild card team. The ceiling on this team was 10 wins. The Dolphins are finally going to do it. And then we mm -hmm. kind of stole it away from you at the end there. So tell us and tell our listeners at home, Steve, it, what is your your tweet length summary, if you could, about the Dolphins season this year? Started with high expectations, didn't end the way you wanted it. But what were some of your takeaways from this year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we started off great, you know, comparisons, greatest show on turf, right? Like we were we were up there offensively and through the course of the season, the defense slowly figured it out and then injuries hit, um, especially on the defensive side and the offensive line. Um, and reflecting back through, I think that the Monday night game against the Titans was the turning point, um, specifically, um, the injury to our center. And when, uh, Tyree kill got 
tackled, horse collar tackled, and was out for the rest of the game. And um, he was never the same since. Even, you know, taking some time off, you know, healing, he was never the same uh, same guy, you know. And I think that was the turning point. And, yeah, you go from greatest show on turf to, like, being part of some surf and turf. Like, it was, it just, <laughs> like, you know, like, uh just something happened that game and, and the team never rebounded. And um, I said to some friends uh, that game turned and I told them, I'm like, they're going to lose to the Ravens. They're going to lose to the bills twice. And that's going to be it. You know, it's, it is what it is. That I, I would agree with you. I actually think you've pinpointed the exact moment for the dolphins where things started to take a turn. Cause as JJ and I were prognosticating where, the Dolphins needed to to hit a snag in the road. Mm-hmm. The Titans was not the Titans were not on our bingo card for sure. Exactly. That was a gimme, really, that you gave to the Bills. The Tyreek Hill injury is noteworthy as well because speed guys that deal with a lot of lower body injuries, like he was starting to mm-hmm. take on at the end of the season. Do you have any concerns overall about his long term health on this squad as a result of how dinged up he was by the end of the year? I don't. I don't. I think the off season. Um, I mean, he's he's a top three receiver. Um, he knows what he needs to do to get healthy year in and year out. Um, so I think a lot of it's just getting that ankle right to where he can be at top speed come, you know, through the summer and into preseason and training camp. And I think he'll be fine. That's awesome. I think. I think regardless of his health. I would venture a guess that as we start to get into your offseason priorities, wide receiver depth in that room is probably on that list just to get Hill, just to get Hill and Waddle a little bit of help yes, in that room. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and they had some some moments. You know, Cedric Wilson had some some good catches. Braxton Berrios had some good catches. Um, but who's that number three guy? Um, I think is is gonna be important. Tight end. I mean, last year we were talking about Mike Jacecki departure and getting a blocking tight end. And I think they fixed that. They got a blocking tight end, but then they also kind of lost the receiving tight end as a result of that. Absolutely. You know? um, so just trying to figure out what does that position look like as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think if we can get, you know, a true number three guy, Chase Claypool isn't that guy, I don't believe. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. So I think that's a perfect segue to start to dig into it, right? So we're going to give you the floor here and we're going to let you run us through what you think the big off-season priorities for your squad are. I'll give you some facts and figures to kind of help set the stage here, yep. notably around some free agents and cap space, and then you can take us away. And then at the end of this, we have three burning questions as Bills fans that we want to know from you as a Dolphins fan about what you think you guys need to do in order to uh, right the ship for next year. So Steve, it looks like according to Trek, where we pull all of our salary cap data, you guys are looking right now at a cap deficit of about $51 million. So uh, welcome to Buffalo Bills territory, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> um, nice. But you guys have some easy levers that you can pull to, to get some of that cap space. I think of more note, you guys have some really key free agents that are coming through on the offensive line. Now, while you guys were not a great um, pass-blocking offensive line, I think your pass-block win rate was 31st in the league to finish the year. You were solid in the run game, which is really the bedrock of the McDaniel offense. Mm-hmm. So you guys have some pretty key pieces coming open in Connor Williams, um, Isaiah Wynn, and Robert Hunt. 
Add to that on the other side of the trenches, you guys have Christian Wilkins, who I know we would love to see Wilkins out of the AFC East completely. We are sick of going up against that guy in uh, in Bills Mafia. But you guys have some decisions on the trenches to make as well. Mm-hmm. So cap cap situation, um, free agent situation, all of that taken into account. What are you hoping some of the things the Dolphins will do this offseason to bolster the squad? We kind of took my thunder there for a little, you know, for a moment. They're talking about, you know, in the trenches because that's exactly it. You know, I think reality is they need to figure out a way to sign two of the three offensive linemen, you know, and and based on who's available in the draft, who's available in free agency, um, looking at their own cap space, the the players that they have, you know, uh, in prone to injury, all that stuff. They got to take that into account. Um, I, I, I mean, I think, man, I think you got to figure out a way to keep Isaiah win. Um, and, you know, for me, Connor Williams, I think those two, because when you think about, um, after Connor Williams got injured, um, they had no cent- true center, um, and, and that's a position they struggled in. I think that's where you started to see the cracks. Beginning of the year, they weren't giving up sacks. Towards the end of the year, that's when things started getting a little bit slippery. Um, so I think looking at, again, Connor Williams, and for me, Isaiah Wynn, um, but again, it's really looking at the draft class. Is there someone out there, first round, second round, that they can draft to fill that? Uh, potentially fill that void mm-hmm. um and then again on defense i mean do what you got to do to figure out a way to get christian wilkins back you know no uh, don't please don't. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that's kind of, i i think I, again that's that's the the pressing need um right now with this team is to to keep that core uh core group in the trenches on both sides of the football um, get them healthy, figure out, you know, truly who are the two or the three guys on offense that you're going to keep, um, and then figure out who in the draft or free agency, are you going to sign to fill that third spot? After yeah. somehow making some space. And After I'll, somehow I'll, making some space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll fuel, uh, I'll fuel Dan's nightmares and, and say somehow this off season, they have to let Christian Wilkins walk, but they signed Chris Jones from the chiefs. Oh, no way. Oh, stop. Imagine. You're terrible. Just, uh, Why would uh, you do this? It would just be so bad. Now that yeah. I put it on the universe at my head. I thought we were friends, man. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, looking see, at... I don't what, want to see what, Chris Jones. What deals can you restructure? You know, what's what's exact... You know, what's out there? What's able to be done? Um, get creative uh, with, with how you structure players' salaries and everything. And... Uh, you know, we're, we're there. It's, you can't be replacing so many pieces every year to expect that same level. You know, you need figure out a way to keep as many guys as you can, um, and build up through draft. Steve, would, I'll, I'll, let, yeah, I'll ask you this, um, Tyreek Hill, are you worried about the dolphins pushing a giant bunch of his cap down the road in order to make some space given his age? I mean, I, I think to make 
a win now scenario, which is, I think if you're going to win a championship with Tyreek Hill on your team, that's what you got to do. You know, you got to be in win now mode. Um, the long-term impact, uh, you know, look at, again, looking long-term, who are those player contracts coming up, you know, in those subsequent years and what's the free agency class looking like, um, guys far smarter than me that, that have all the analytics figured out already to that. So, um, but you know, those are the, the things to, for me that I'm thinking about is, all right, if you push some of that long-term, who are, who are those guys five years down the road that are going to be impacted potentially? Yeah, there, there are some funky levers on base salary conversions you guys can pull. As JJ noted, Tyreek Hill is one of them. You pulled on that lever last year. Mm-hmm. It's very likely that you guys are going to pull on that lever again this year. Bradley Chubb also has some similar flexibility in his contract too. But Steve, the big one, like or a big piece of the cap that you can move would be by signing to a Tungo Valoa to a long-term deal. So this is probably a good point to get into some of our burning questions for your off-season priorities here. And at the forefront of everyone's mind who pays attention to the AFC East and NFL football, folks want to know, is Tua going to get extended? The vibes seem to be positive from both camps, his camp and Miami. Mm-hmm. But the question is extended and for how much. There are some projections that have him garnering as much as $50 million a year when the full force of that contract would kick in a couple years from now. So what is your take as a fan? Do you want to see Tua as your QB one of the future long term? I would say long term over the next five years, absolutely extend them over five years. I think anything longer than that, especially depending on guaranteed monies and all of that stuff, um, you start risking some um, because you just don't know. Again, he was healthy this year. He looked fantastic throughout all of, uh, you know, physically anyway, uh, throughout all the whole season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's earned that right to be extended. I don't think you're looking at mega. To me, I wouldn't be looking at a mega contract. Um, but, but again, I mean, I, I look at who's out there free agency, just how hit and miss the draft class can be year in and year out. Um, you know, you 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 know what you have in Tua, and that's the big thing. Um, you know, sure, Kirk Cousins could come in and sling the ball around for a year or two but the reality is after that you're going to be right back where you started um so sign them long term um i think you know a, a five-year deal is more than fair um maybe with as possible as six I, for me i probably wouldn't go any any longer than that um so money wise per year yeah restructure it so that if he can get more money on the back end, sure, you know, that can help us out right now for next year and the year after. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my, my quick take with Tua. I think you got to sign him. I think you got to, you got to sign him for a five, six year deal. I don't think anything longer would be wise. Um, 
And then you just go from there with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you guys are not going to be in striking distance of one of the top QBs in the draft. And while you've got more capital to play with this year, I don't know that you have enough to trade up and get one of the truly elite guys that they're talking about. And like you said, it's a mixed bag with QB development. Think mm-hmm. back to the Trevor Lawrence QB draft. Who was drafted in that? It was Lawrence and then JJ, help me out here. Lawrence, was that the Trey Lance, Zach Wilson yeah, here too? I believe so. Yeah. Yep. So Lawrence, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson. Was Justin Fields in that one? Justin Fields was in that class yeah. as well. And they that and Mac Jones. That was a Mac Jones yep. year too. The top five QBs taken in that draft, four of those QBs have either been moved on from the team that drafted them or will be by this offseason. And listen, I know Lawrence was playing hurt this year, but I've got real questions if he's good. Like, is he good in Jacksonville? Like, he hasn't had the elite production that we expected from the next John Elway, quote-unquote. So, again, injuries aside. Yeah. So those top five QBs taken in that draft year, four are, are arguably in bust territory. And you've got one who is a media darling, but has yet to really prove it in a big time situation. Yeah. So it, your point is well taken. It's rather rather go with the devil you know in some cases, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence gives off, for me as a Dolphins fan, some Ryan Tannehill vibes, like coming in, super high expectations. You know, looks super elite sometimes, and other times it's like, where are we at with you? Um, you know, injuries and support. Um, around him so uh yeah maybe a change of scenery might be good for him but we don't want him to go to miami after all that no. trash i just talked about oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I don't no no we still no. Don't, we still don't want him there no. we still don't want him there right no we still don't want him there no jj no. as a as a bills fan on your end how do you feel about tua being a a long-term fixture for the bills to have to contend with i'd actually prefer tua than a than a draft pick then, yeah. like, and I know the Dolphins wouldn't be high enough to take any of the elite QBs in this one. And, and and this is this is why. I think that the Bills defense, as long as Sean McDermott is the is the you know head of that defensive effort, has a plan for Tua that has been somewhat effective. It's really about disrupting timing, make, taking away his first read, and that has worked. And I think that there's likely going to be shootouts between Tua and Josh Allen, but I just like our guy, you know? So it's mm-hmm. the kind of thing where um I think Tua scares me, especially with Tyreek and Waddle on the outside. And and that's, you know, so, but I will say, like, he doesn't scare me as much as Burrow or Mahomes. And so I like the Bills' chances. And, and it's that that's exactly the devil you know, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, if they moved on from Tua or something, then it's like, ooh, what if they get somebody that's like, what if they get the next C.J. Stroud or somebody like shows up on the scene and you're like, oof, that guy's just elite, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, out the, right out of the gates. And I think, Tua showed this year in being able to stay healthy, in having absolutely bonkers stats and being able to connect on deep balls and things that people doubted him coming out of the draft. Um, there's certainly a capacity for me to eat these words in a couple of years. But for right now, where we are, and with the way that I've seen the Bills defense play Tua and play McDaniels, keeping McDaniels and Tua together, I think, is, you know, the Bills have a good chance of maintaining control of the AFC East if they don't fall apart like they did this past season and then need a lot of luck and a lot of bad luck for the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And McDaniel has invested so much of his coaching identity in drawing out the greatness in Tua that he has. I, it would, listen, I, Steve, I will full confession for you. I have called McDaniel arrogant on this podcast. I have, I have also said, I loved him. Like I have gone like on both ends of the spectrum with your head coach, but I, I don't know that he has, I don't know that it's in his leadership style to like point at a player and say, you failed me. And I feel like if they don't re-sign Tua, I feel like he would have to be able to get over that hump that a lot of head coaches ultimately mm -hmm. do. I feel like he's invested so much in Tua, so much of, a, of a, himself in Tua, that he would look at it as more of a failure on his part if the organization didn't think Tua was the guy after especially this season leading the leading the league in passing yards. So so I, I agree. I think he gets re-signed. I think it's probably a generous deal for the first couple of years. And then after that, you're looking at something in the territory of a little bit more than what Daniel Jones is making mm -hmm. with his current extension with New York. So yeah, absolutely. Speaking of your head coach, this is this is now where I I retract my 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 love for your head coach and I want to dig into your your thoughts a little bit. So a lot was made last season about the fact that the Dolphins only beat one team out of, I think it was six that they faced on their regular mm -hmm. season schedule, one team that ended up going to the playoffs, and that team was the Cowboys in a really close game. Yep. A lot of good defenses seem to have figured out the windows that McDaniel and Tua were trying to open in that offensive set across the middle of the field. And a lot like last season, when those windows got shut, there didn't seem to be a lot of adjustments on the offensive side from yeah. McDaniel. My question for you is, what, if anything, would you like to see McDaniel do different with this scheme or maybe the way he uses this personnel or maybe his play calling to help get you guys over that hump of competing more, more consistently against top-end teams? Yeah. So... I think they need to take and have one playbook just for the Bills. That way, <laughs> when, other, when other teams look at the the film from that game, um, it looks completely different to what they're going to get against them. Because um, the I, like like JJ was saying, for all intents and purposes, they figured Tua out. You know, in terms of the timing and everything. Um, so that would be my one suggestion: is just one playbook for the Bills. Another playbook for everybody else. Um, but also, I, I would love to see some more killer instincts in, in him. You know, he's very much a player's coach. He's going to be there to support the players. Um, but I, I don't know. I just want that, like, we're just going to go up and just punch these guys, you know, and, and just continue to do that. Um, that's what I would love to see out of him. Um, you know, and, and I think that you'll see that then reflect upon the team as well, rather than this like Miami beach party, you know, when things are going great. Right. Um, but yeah, just that, that killer instinct, I think needs to really show up because when, you know, when, when they got down against good teams, it just kind of, it was very flat. It was. And it's just, you know, you got to be able to get back up, have that killer instinct and just go for it. I actually love that take. Yeah. Um, we'll, go ahead, JJ. 
I just have one other note about the Bills versus the Dolphins. Um, and this isn't this isn't any kind of Tua trashing. Um, this is actually Tyreek Hill trashing. Um, he has never gotten a hundred plus. He's never gotten over a hundred yards against the Bills in his career, not one time, except for the playoffs. I was going to say a couple of playoff games, twice did, in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So only when it mattered. That's right. <laughs> but in the regular season, he's never yeah. gotten over a hundred yards. Totally against the Bills. mails it oh, in. But in how the much of that season? was due to Patrick Mahomes, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Um, and I think that that's, you know, he's, as a Miami Dolphin, he's never eclipsed more than 82 yards mm-hmm. um, in a game, which is like, I think, and I think that's, that's the reason I say this is not too trashing. I think it's, it's about the Bills know how to kind of cancel out Tyreek Hill a little bit from so much experience playing against him and so much experience being trounced by him in the playoffs mm-hmm. that I think they, they focus so much attention to him that that has a strong impact on the, the Miami Dolphins plan yeah. too. Yeah, you not only have a QB spy against against Tua, you now have a a, a wide receiver spy, yes. so to speak, right? With Tyree. So exactly. Yep. All right, I got one more question for you. All right, Steve. So Vic Fangio, a lot was made about him joining the squad last year and the coaching staff, um, and he really did a great job, especially in the second half of the season when he got Ramsey back really turning the screws down tight on that defense and getting the most out of them until, like Mm -hmm. you said, injuries plague the squad. Fangio has now moved on. Do you have any concerns, and if so, what are they, about regression on this defense as a result of having to learn a third defensive scheme now in three years? Um, I'm I'm hoping no. I, I, I don't want to see any regression. Um... The guys need to get healthy. Uh, you know, last year they took some really good strides, um, but it it took a long time. And the, it seemed like as soon as Jalen Ramsey got healthy, got his his um, live action legs underneath him, you know, after a game or two, um, that's when the injuries really hit in for... Uh, for Miami and and really uh, the Ravens game just took a, a, a toll on them defensively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that there isn't regression. Um, I'm really hoping uh, Weaver is able to like come in and just uh, really transform that defense, get them from really, really good to elite, um, you know, and, and Perhaps a little more player centered. Um, from what I've heard, you know, uh, just different things that I've read, that wasn't necessarily the case with Fangio. Um, and the players didn't buy into his scheme right away. Um, you know, so hopefully that trust can be built quicker and sooner and uh they're they're able to to just gel you know, from, from week one instead of week six through, you know, eight, nine, you know, so, well, that's, that's my, that's my hope. Ideal speak, ideally speaking. I think you got a good one for doing that. Weaver is a Rex Ryan disciple. Um, but based on some of the advanced press that I've read on him, he seems to have Ryan's likability with the players right? Which speaks to your Mm -hmm. piece about earning their trust, but he does not bring a lot from Ryan's blitz heavy scheme, um, to the table. 
So there could be some elements that carry over from the Fangio defense here with that added personability and meeting players on the level that they're at. And you guys got you guys got some veterans on that team too, we right? Do. So like yeah. having a head coach that knows how to work with veteran caliber defensive players is going to be really important. So I think it, as much as I hate to say it, and I said this last year, uh, I think you guys got a good one with Weaver, right? I thought you yeah. got a good one with Fangio. I hate how well coached you guys have the potential to be. Yeah. That scares the crap out of me, but I think you got a good one with Weaver for sure. Yeah. I, I, and I feel like, you know, reflecting back, um, just hearing just the rumors and the gossip that Fangio was there because there wasn't room for him on the Eagles staff at that point. You know, had there been, he would never have been a Dolphin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but it worked out for you guys to some extent for a season, right? And then outside of that, you know, I think you've got a good fresh start with a, a young player-minded head coach here. Yep. So, so yep. yeah, well, you know, we wish you the best next season, but not too much of the best <laughs> because that would adversely impact our beloved Buffalo Bills. But Steve, we really appreciate you joining us. We're going to have you back again when we do our AFC East mock draft spectacular. All right. Looking so forward to let, it. Yes, let that be your warning. You got a couple of months to uh, to bone up here. Before yes. you leave, may I throw a name your way for research and consideration if you okay. haven't thought about him already? Jackson Powers Johnson. Should you guys part ways with Connor Williams? This is a big boy, center from, from uh, Oregon University. He would run absolutely wild in the McDaniel scheme. So look into this guy. Hopefully he doesn't land with you, but... uh. You know, you could do worse at 21 if this yeah. guy ended up we falling. We talking way. Troy Franklin? No, no, no. Oh, God, no. Please, no. Um, Jackson, uh, what's his face from Oregon? Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Case Connor Williams moves on. I was prepping Steve here for the uh, for the AFCE for the draft. mock draft spectacular that we're going to do in a couple of months. My apologies. So, yeah. I had to st- step away to be a dad for a second. No, you're good. Please, by all means. All right, Steve, thanks again for joining us, all right? Thank you all again for having me. I, I really enjoy it. Awesome. Take care, sir. Yep.